0: I wanted to show these connections from the past, but also in the hopes of getting people to think about today. And I think if we can learn to be more honest about the past, maybe we can be more honest about the present. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. We don't often consider the historical significance of our clothing, but a map gives us a view into the role clothing and fashion have played in shaping human history since the 19th century. Our colleagues at Esri Canada have a sister podcast that recently covered this rich topic. Please listen in as Esri's Kwan Yu speaks with University of Saskatchewan student Samantha Huckerby about the enormous impact of the clothing and fashion industry on key historical events and what it can teach us about the future of sustainability.
1: Those beautiful gowns we see in TV shows like Bridgerton or Downton Abbey relied on Britain being a global power in the 19th century. Britain had ships all over the world, bringing home cotton from India, silk from Italy, exotic feathers for those big hats. The movement of those goods, the basis of those fashions, is what Sam Huckerby showed in her beautiful story map, Piece by Piece. Sam studies studio art and history at the University of Saskatchewan and created her story map as part of a digital history course. Sam, I'm so intrigued by the beautiful pictures of the gowns that you put in your story map. In a few sentences, can you tell us what's in those story?
0: Yes. Uh, so piece by piece, I designed it to be a public-facing history project that explored five common clothing materials from 19th century England, specifically feathers, whalebone, cotton silk, and velvet. Uh, And I I chose to focus on clothing in general just because of how many connections you can find between clothing and its materials uh, and other aspects of 19th century England. You know, these, these clothes reflect everything from how people expressed grief with black silk to the emergence of the first bird preservation movements to how people were bought and sold for a bolt of cotton fabric.
1: Is that what you meant by clothes are never neutral? That's a statement that really stood out for me as I'm going through the story map.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely part of it. So what I mean by clothing is not a neutral entity I mean that clothes have never been made in a vacuum they have always been part of our social or environmental or cultural history you know if we look at something like whalebone you know the north atlantic right whale was hunted to near extinction by the 1850s to supply for fashion uh, millions upon millions of birds were killed to provide feathers for bonnets or fans you know this these materials and fashion and clothing they have real impacts on real things in life um, the first thing that
1: I that that really got my attention is the map where you put all of the source where the feathers are sourced um, on a global map it's surprised to see that how such a small ornament the desire for it in the 19th century um, when no commercial airline exists that have su- such far-reaching impact like some of the Birds are sourced from Africa, all over America, and only a small batch of them are from Europe, and they're not even from England.
0: It is surprising, and I was also a bit surprised to just find out how how far-reaching these connections are. You know, you have feathers coming from South, South America, from North America, all the way to areas around New Zealand even. Uh, and it is surprising just how much people wanted these feathers. During the 19th century, annual imports exceeded the hundreds of thousands of pounds of feathers. These were these, were, these were popular accessories, because if we look at feathers and hats especially, we find out that in the later 1800s, there was this trend of taking whole stuffed birds and putting them on hats. This is essentially taxidermy on a hat. And this this can tell us a couple things. On the one hand, there's this pretty gruesome side of fashionable trends that viewed nature as something to exploit, something that only had value if it was, you know, dead and stuffed and put on a hat, or dead and plucked to put feathers on a hat or on a fan. Uh, people really, you know, the aspects of society viewed nature as something with value only if it was an accessory. That's on the one hand, but on the other hand, if you dig deeper into the history of feathers for ornaments, stuffed birds on hats, you find out that in the mid-1800s, we see the emergence of the first widespread and organized bird preservation movements. And these movements, they emerged as a reaction against all of this killing. It It was a reaction against seeing whole stuffed birds on hats. Uh, You know, more and more people were taking up the cause in defense of birds. And this marks, the the emergence of these groups marks this shift in how 19th century England was thinking about nature. It's, It's this shift from thinking about nature as something to exploit and kill to nature becoming something to protect and learn from. So if we dig deeper into these materials we find out so much more about the history of England about the history of how people thought about nature you don't look at these objects all the time sometimes you have to look through them right and it make us reflect on
1: the current fashion and the current materials that we're sourcing from nature and we also synthesize and think about the movement we see now
0: about fashion absolutely that was kind of at the at the heart of why I wanted to do this project. I wanted to show these connections uh, from the past, but also in the hopes of getting people to think about today, because we are no less globally connected, we are no less harmful on the environment or people today than we were in the 19th century. And I think if we can learn to be more honest about the past, maybe we can be more honest about the present. How about whales? I find it's interesting that
1: both birds and whales are used for clothes and fashion in the 19th century. But why is whales less noticed? Or why isn't there much of an activity and movement to protect whales?
0: It was quite interesting looking at, because uh, I looked at feathers first and then I looked at whalebone second, essentially. So it was a very interesting comparison to see because they are both animals that were killed for parts of their bodies, essentially. Uh, feathers came from birds, and whales supplied uh, this material known as whalebone, which isn't technically bone, actually. It's the whale baleen, so that filter that some whales have. And what's, what's interesting, they have all these similarities as animals being killed for byproducts that help fashion. But what makes them different is feathers are very visible. They are instantly recognizable. They are very ornamental. You can see them a block away, essentially. Whereas whalebone from whales was very much an invisible staple. You could not see it. It was built into bodices. It was what gave corset structure. It's inside umbrellas, even. So you don't see whalebone very easily. You have to know that it is there. You have to know what it is, second of all. So you d- these this material was invisible to most people. And not only was it invisible, the animal themselves, you know, most people probably hadn't seen a whale in person at this time. Most people knew what a bird was. You know, you do see them basically everywhere. But whales are quite remote animals. And finally, I think what makes whales different is that whale bodies were in fact multi-purpose. Birds were killed essentially just for feathers, uh, whereas whales, they were killed for not just their whale baleen, but also their oil and meat and blubber. And all of those other aspects of whales were also integral to 19th century English society. So I think all of those factors kind of culminate into potentially explaining why whales never became the focus of animal rights groups while birds did.
1: That also reminds us while we're evaluating our impact on the environment, sometimes it takes more peeling of the surface layers to dig deeper into the real footprint that we have on the environment. Now let's talk about cotton. I find it's a very big part of your story map and it's fascinating because you did not only map out where cottons are from, which initially was from India, but you also talk about the shift of where they became to be produced later in the 19th century.
0: Yes, so cotton absolutely was probably the largest section of my project. There's there's so much that could be discussed about cotton. And we're all we're all aware of this connection between cotton and slavery. But what surprised me when I started digging deeper into this history is part of the reason why cotton became such a big deal and why slavery and cotton became connected. Uh, so we see in the 18th century, the century before. Uh, where my project looks, 18th century cotton production was largely in India. India was the center for cotton production. Uh, Indian cotton was beautiful, it was good quality, and people wanted it. And this includes Europe and other places in the world like Africa. Very broadly speaking, of course. And what we see is that England wanted in on this cotton market. They wanted to find a way to make their own cotton uh, for less money. They wanted to create their own industry, essentially. And the, the connection between cotton and slavery that a lot of people don't know about is that England bought Indian cotton fabric and then used it to trade in Africa for slaves. So people were literally bought and sold for a bolt of cotton fabric. And then these people were taken from Africa, forced across the Atlantic to work on plantations in the Americas, And at a certain point in the 1800s, a lot of those plantations were cotton, and that cotton was being sent back to England so that England could weave it into their own cotton and make their own cotton fabric industry. And because of this (laughs) horrible, ironic cycle of taking Indian cotton to pay for slaves to work cotton plantations to benefit England, England replaced India as the center for cotton production by the mid-1800s. England does not grow any cotton, India did, and they avoided huge costs in this production of cotton by intentionally utilizing the established slave industry. Uh, I had a lot of freedom with what I could choose for this project, uh, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to examine something that I think is important and that I personally love, which is exploring this gap in you know, fashion history, where did things come from, not just what they looked like and how pretty they were. So because I chose to examine clothing in this way, I quickly realized that there absolutely was a geographical component and that it was important to provide geographical context for my readers because sometimes it can be very difficult to really understand just how vast these connections were, how great a distance is between England and South America or you know, the bottom of the African continent. Those are huge distances, and we have materials coming from all over the world back to England. And so I mostly chose to include maps for this geographical context to help people understand where things were coming from and just how far away they were. There is probably a reason more people aren't... (laughs) that they aren't interested in history, because if all we offer people is a 15 to 20 page long paper of nothing but text. Of course people are going to get bored. I still get bored and I love history. So long papers are great for other historians where you need lots of detail. But if we want to help people understand why history is important and why understanding patterns of the past can help today, then I think that we really need to meet them halfway or even more than halfway. And I think that that is where digital history can really come into play. It's doing videos, it's podcasts, it's using story maps. Anything that can get your message very widespread and very accessible. You know, I I absolutely loved being able to write in a way that was more, more like a blog post as opposed to an academic paper. Well, we'll hear a lot of
1: passion from you of bring history relevant, bring history to more audiences today. If there's one takeaway you want for your audience who's going to explore the story map, what will it be?
0: Oh, that's tricky because two things instantly pop into my head. The first is just this concept of honesty about the past. Uh, That's kind of become my number one thing with this project is this idea of learning to be honest about what has happened, where these clothes came from, because there is this gap in how we talk about historical dress. Typically, we focus on what dress looked like and how it changed over the decades. And that's that's perfectly fine. That's very important in certain contexts. That's interesting. But if we refuse to acknowledge the realities of how some of these clothes came into being, then we miss an opportunity to be honest, to actually recognize the atrocities that happened, to provide for some of these fashions, you know, 88% of cotton that was coming into England by 1860 was the product of slave labor. That is a fact, we cannot escape it and we should not try to ignore it just for the sake of pretty clothes. So that's that's definitely one side of what I want people to take away is this concept of honesty. Uh, the other is just a general awareness of just how much clothing can tell us about ourselves and our world. Um, You know, as I've mentioned before, we are no less globally connected or impactful on environment and people. And that was the 19th century. We are in the 21st century now. We, as of right now, we do have have little tags on our clothes that say made in China, made in Vietnam, made wherever. That's still only one part of the story. Where are our clothing, clothing materials being sourced from? Who is making them? And if we have this, this idea of being honest about the past, therefore being honest about the present can maybe be a little bit easier because I think that we can do better with our contemporary fashion industry. Yes, any
1: thoughts of doing a similar project, but in today in the modern world, everything we wear comes from somewhere and that becomes rarer today because everything's just a click away. But knowing and seeing where things are coming from and what does that mean for people who live and work there
0: makes a huge difference. That's that's such a good point because we are so far removed from where our clothes come from and how they are made, even more so than the 19th century. You know, still in the 19th century, you did have people that were still making their own clothing, uh, still global connections, everything I talk about in my project, but there was still a little bit more of this personal connection with making clothes and interacting with them than we have today. Everything is a click away. You can go online and within 20 minutes have something express shipped, you know, on its way to your door, essentially. And in terms of taking this project further, um, I think, as of right now, I'm absolutely interested in pursuing this for my masters. I don't know the exact extent of what that would look like. But when I did start this project, I was thinking, oh, it would be really nice to be able to have a little section with some very specific connections to today. It just ended up being that I didn't have enough time or resources to do that within the scope of this term project. But I think in the future, that is absolutely something that I would want to do. Because I do think it's really important to connect the history of anything to today. Because what good is looking at the past if we refuse to do anything to help our present?
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much,
0: Sam, for joining us today. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast. And thanks to Samantha Huckerby for explaining how the clothing and fashion industry can shape the future of sustainability, supply chain transparency, as well as racial injustice and business ethics. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague.